Tabletop Roleplaying Podcast, where the die decides our topic. I'm Dylan. I'm Zach. And this week we're going to talk about uh, player character death and how it affects things and how to deal with it. Because some people get real sad when their characters die. Understandably. There's like, um, there's a lot that goes into making a character. You know, even just the, the time it takes to research making that level one piece of paper, just knowing what your initial stuff is. There can be like a lot of hopes and a lot of ideas of who you want your character to be. And a lot of the time when you're playing a character, they they don't end up that way. They, they will most of the time take a completely different path than what you expected them to because you never really know what's going to happen on a session to session basis. And because of the experience you have playing this character and the kind of shared experiences this character is going to have with your friends and their characters and stuff, you can get very attached to them. And losing a character can be devastating in some situations. Uh, I know, like, me and you, Zach, we, we play a lot, and uh, our group is very silly. We tend to not take these kinds of things too terribly seriously, uh, especially since we haven't really gotten any kind of campaigns where the characters that we've lost have been really what you would consider a loss to begin with as you pointed out in the discord earlier like the one character we managed to really lose was gromlish and it's like eh, maybe that's for the best so we weren't too terribly sad about it. he also died in a real dumb way <laughs> yeah he, did. he died real stupid we lost his sexy <laughs> he decided boots. he liked to yeah we did lose his sexy boots but you know don't live in a bag of holding that's that's my advice yeah and i think i think bartlett learned that lesson I don't know if he's going to take it to heart, but at least he understands it now. Um, so it can be it can be heartbreaking to have a character that you've played for a long time, that you've got a lot of good memories with, that you really thought was going to go all the way to the end. And you can lose characters to a myriad of things. Sometimes you just are really unlucky on the die, and you don't make your death saves. Or sometimes the opponents you're fighting against are really lucky on the die, and they do make their killing throws because that's the terminology. And you'll just... Most of the time, whenever a character is going to die, you don't really know that it's coming. It's just kind of an out-of-the-blue thing. And uh, I've actually seen um, in a couple online campaigns I've played that players will lose a character, and they're bummed about it, and everyone else is just kind of like, all right, cool. I guess you're out of the rest of this session. Go make your new character. Blah, blah, blah. And they just kind of treat it very blasé. And if the person is actually like upset about losing this character, you should probably like give them a minute to process that. And that's something I don't see happening a whole lot. Our group, we clearly just kind of move past it. Like I feel like if you lost Archie or, you know, Bartlett lost, Bartlett lost Grom. And if these characters die, we've kind of got this, repository of ideas each where we're just kind of ready to you know pick up the next piece of paper and move on but there there are times whenever a character is going to be somebody that a player has played for a very long time and they're very attached to them and once that character's gone especially if they didn't have too much of a chance to do anything about it in game in your own characters you should take the time to you know pay respects and you know give that player like hey man you want to take a second you want to like figure out if you want to keep playing if you want to make a new character today or whatever like take the time to understand that if a player is actually upset about this character dying that you should 
respect that. Respect that they have an emotional attachment to this, and that needs to be respected and dealt with appropriately. So, so I've I've got a couple of things. I'm going to try and structure this as best I can. So, uh, you know, first of all, with me, uh, I struggle to like get into character. Uh, a lot of my characters just kind of are. Um, kind of built around like something that i want to do i'm very like mechanically focused i like to uh like worry about like how the feats work with the attack rolls that i'm gonna do or if uh if certain feats will like work together really well or they're like spells that work together really well something like that and so like you definitely like approach it like that and sometimes the the flavor kind of builds out that way um and so like to that extent i would say that that's what kind of defines my character like if i find like a group of spells i'm like oh wow he'll get like specialized to like uh, enlarge and reduce person spells or something like that and then so it's that is kind of how my character gets played out but from somebody who doesn't get into character like that uh the the loss of one of my characters doesn't really feel too drastically different than just like oh cool i get to like try out um some different mechanics uh so i've played with some people that that seem to get very into character uh and in some respects i envy that quite a bit um because you know i feel like that can like be a different personality and that lets that be an outlet and so like i could see how that would bum people out but um so a couple of questions that i have are how detrimental is it to lose a character like later on in a campaign than early on in a campaign? We haven't really gotten to any late game campaign sorts of things, but um, but it seems like you know your your opportunities to like resurrect a player become like uh, way more prevalent the later you get into a campaign. You just have more options to like bring them back or or whatever. Uh, my second question is um, I haven't had a character that will cross campaigns. And so, like, I know you have a Tailwind that you really like to kind of bring forward. And you kind of have, like, this meta plan to do the Book of the Dam stuff. So, like, what would happen with a Tailwind if you took him into a campaign and he dies in that campaign? Uh, do you kind of, like, retcon that if you bring him into another campaign? Like, do you have to look for a way to bring him back within that campaign? Or, or maybe you start a new campaign and you look for a way to, like, resurrect him that way? Um, like those cross-campaign characters, like how how does death impact them? That second one's a very good question, uh, especially in kind of the way I do things. The Tame one's not the only character that I bring to the table in a lot. Like uh, something I do, and you'll remember this character from a long time ago, um, a character I've put in every campaign I've ever written. They Players haven't necessarily reached him every time, but he's in every campaign I've ever written is Dr. Arm. And... I have ways to just kind of work him in. And in the course of a Tailwind, uh, the thing I've done is just kind of, every time I play a Tailwind so far, uh, I just kind of start him from square one. It's not like it's the same Tailwind coming from a different campaign. He's now in this one, and he's like back at level one or whatever. I'll, I'll use that same backstory and the same reasons for, um, for him going on his adventures with the party and the reason he tolerates the good aligned people, um, I'll adapt it to the given campaign that we're in. But for the most part, 
they're just kind of separate instances of the same character. I do have plans uh, for him being kind of the same Ateowin in multiple campaigns, but it really requires it being in campaigns that would kind of be, and I guess what you would say is like the same multiverse, I guess, where uh, he would work very well from being like from a Pathfinder campaign into another Pathfinder campaign, maybe just on a different world, or from a Pathfinder campaign into a Starfinder campaign, because kind of one of his ultimate goals is to bind his soul to the mask, kind of Jack of Blade style, so that anyone who wears the mask becomes Iteowen. Uh, and that can be like a flawed process is something I've done in the course of him being put into a Starfinder campaign where it has to be somebody of his specific bloodline who shares his same genetics or their body just kind of rejects it and deteriorates over time. But if they have that same kind of, you know, core of a person, that person just kind of becomes the perfect vessel for a tailwind and can just become the new one with everything else just kind of being a, a temporary intermediate. In terms of your first question, yeah, later, later on you do get a lot more options to resurrect a character. Uh, they can still be very expensive. Like, if you get way late game, like 17, 18, 19, your characters are going to just be flush with gold most of the time anyway, and it's not going to be as bad. Uh, a lot of the time, if you don't want it to just be, like, a consequence is like, oh, uh, Jimmy died again, I guess we'll go back to town, talk to the priest, pay him that however much gold, and just bring him back again. Like, there can be ways to make resurrection more difficult for a given character, if not impossible, uh, to kind of like let your players know that you shouldn't just be acting stupidly and brazenly. Like death should be a consequence. And ultimately I feel like if a character dies and it's really just kind of out of their own control, like maybe they did just get unlucky on the dice rolls or an enemy really did, uh, you know, just kind of get the jump on you guys. And it was just more than they could handle. And at the end of the day, there really just wasn't a whole lot they could do to defend themselves or fight back against what killed them. A lot of the time in those situations, I will say, that's an acceptable way for a character to die and then be available for resurrection. But if a character is just going to be, especially if a player is just going to be blatantly stupid in their actions, like, oh, I know that room's trapped. I'm going to jump in there over and over again and just repeatedly get resurrected, I will make death a consequence for their stupidity. Especially if they're doing it to just be dumb. Uh, like, resurrecting a character becomes significantly harder, like, if there's not a body. If uh, a particular deity lays claim to the soul and doesn't want to release it and that's also another big like you may have to pass some certain skill checks to be able to get that character's soul back like if a if a player character sells their soul to a demon and then dies they are very difficult to resurrect because the demon does not want to let that go and so you have to you know make some caster level checks and such to be able to bring them back in those instances um so it can really mechanically be very varied, especially late game, whenever you try and figure out, can this player be resurrected? And if so, how? And it really, a lot of the time, does have to be just a case-by-case -case basis. You have to look at the facts, what this character has done, um, 
is there a body to resurrect them into? Will you have to use a higher level resurrection spell that would make them a new body? Because there are things that can do that. And then uh, does the character want to be resurrected is a big one because that's a thing in just about every single one of the resurrection spells is that if the character or the person in question decides they don't want to be resurrected, then they're just not. That's a really good point. Like if you, yeah, you you can try and call somebody back from the void, but like if if their soul goes to heaven and they're happy there, and you try and resurrect them, and they say, "Nah, dog, I'm in heaven, I'm cool with this," then the resurrection automatically fails. So uh, I don't know if you had like a. This is where I want to go with this uh, podcast, but um, I wanted to kind of shift in the in a different direction, uh, which is that. Uh, uh, I might be using the word incorrectly, but I think there's like a trope where, um, like Dark Souls will use it, and uh, certainly a ton of different animes. But like you know, you go up and you like fight something that's like crazy over leveled to you or something like that, and so like you will die, you are meant to die, but then that will progress the story further. Like you'll you know some deity will find you and, and resurrect you and then you're chosen and then you carry forward and maybe it gives you like some cool glowy eyes or, you know, something like that. Um, but I think a lot of times those are pretty clear whenever you're doing an encounter. It's like, oh, okay, we're obviously like meant to die here or maybe meant to run away. And if running away doesn't work and then, you know, they kill you, it can kind of progress that way. But um, it, it seems like, as a as a GM, you kind of have to tread a tread a fine line on that uh, because you 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 probably don't want to give that away, but you also don't want to piss anybody off if you can help it. Have you run into anything like that? Uh, not personally, no. I can see that definitely being like an interesting kind of thing to it, like. Again, death should be a consequence for a lot of things, but there are a lot of interesting ways that you can bring a character back, but differently. Um, I I have seen like online in threads and stuff where people will tell stories where their character kind of died, not necessarily in what would be, I guess you would call like a scripted thing, but just kind of against really their ability to do anything about it. And as a result, the GM says, well, your God favors you and you are given this second chance and you gain this boon uh, either temporarily or permanently because you are the chosen one, quote unquote. Uh, so that is one way to do it. There's a race in Starfinder that I really enjoyed as a concept for resurrection. I cannot remember the name of them, but they're basically a kind of undead where... Instead of, you know, their soul passes to the great beyond and, like, they're bound to their flesh or whatever. Like, it's literally they died, but then their soul just for whatever reason really latches onto their body and just necromantically reanimates them just because their soul is too stubborn to really let them die. Um, so they become, like, a kind of undead which is, you know, it has these certain undead traits for being the specific race, but then it chooses, I think, one or two of its previous life's racial traits and gets those as well. And I thought that was a very interesting one because it has some uh, consequences to it where if that character dies, instead of their soul being released and then passing into Besmara's realm and, you know, 
having all those things where you could go through the rigmarole to resurrect them, if that if that character dies, their soul is obliterated. There is no chance to resurrect them because their soul just does not exist anymore. It was so intrinsically tied to their flesh. Definitely sounds like the upright bears. What? The upright bears in Starfinder. Oh, oh, the uplifted bears. <laughs> oh, that's what it is? Okay. Who are the... They're the funniest race because they're just bears. There's... Oh, that book. That book... Okay, this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but God. There's like the wolf fairies who are from an Arctic planet, and they're, they're just humanoids who happen to evolve to look like wolves, and the cat fairies who are just humanoids who have like... They're an alien race, and they're exotic, and they have these cat features. And then there's just straight-up bears. There's just bears that someone was like, yeah, you should be intelligent and have thumbs. And that's just the whole reasoning behind them existing is some absolute jackass thought, yeah, man, let's give bears human-like intelligence and just fuck them off into space. And that is the greatest racial background I have ever heard, is that they are just bears. I haven't played Starfinder. But I definitely want to play that race because it is hilarious. <laughs> Starfinder has some wild races. Uh, Pathfinder and Starfinder have one where it's a plant person, and they're just so delicious that they were nearly hunted to extinction. Okay, I uh, hadn't heard that yeah, one. That one's pretty they're, interesting. They're just some tasty boys. <laughs> they are astounding to me. So I have. A character I mentioned earlier named Dr. Arm. And I, like I said, I've been putting him in just about every campaign I can. And I want to kind of elaborate into that because while character death can be a meaningful and impactful thing, it can also be just kind of a necessary thing. Wherein I understand that Dr. Arm probably should be retired. He, he was a character from my... Uh, my teens earlier in my youth wherein I had kind of a different kind of idiotic energy that I could just kind of throw into whatever character I was making. And Dr. Arm was the first and only character I've ever played all the way to level 20. And I played Dr. Arm to level 20 in a D and D fourth edition game that lasted about a year. I played GMing under this dude. I barely know named Billy who was an idiot. He was a terrible GM. He just like threw level ups at us. Like the fact that we got from one to 20, just in about eight months, we, we were like speed running fourth edition and fourth edition is terrible. He was not a great GM. I didn't have a great time, but it did give me an excuse to make Dr. Arm basically unkillable because in fourth edition, one of the things you would do is choose a path of immortality. From roughly 1 to 10, a character was just the character. It was the class you were playing, and you were just doing that. From about 10 to 15, you would choose a certain kind of specialization that you would go down, and then from 15 to 20, you were choosing your path of immortality. And there were all kinds of different ones. Things from, I am a nascent god who creates his own world, and once I've reached level 20, I ascend to being the god of that world and I no longer physically exist and I'm immortal that way, to somebody mastering a spell so perfectly in its entirety 
that upon level 20, they do a final casting of the spell and weave themselves into the very fabric of magic that makes that spell up. Dr. Arm chose one called the Key Bearer, wherein he could see the fabric of the universe. He could see the threads that connected time and space, and he could manipulate them to teleport, to travel through time. And it gets to a point where he's so adept at doing this that you basically can't kill him because he just exists outside of time and space. He does not have linear time, so you can only really kill him in one time in one space, but he still exists in all others. So there's just, anytime you kill Dr. Arm, there's just another one somewhere. And he's probably going to find you and be real pissed about that. And now you have to deal with another one who's at full health. And also level 20. So I've managed to kind of weave that into him being able to travel through the various multiverses and harass the various adventuring parties that I've made throughout the years. And I understand that it's kind of, at this point, a childish gambit. But Dr. Arm is actually a character that I have grown so attached to that I don't ever really want to retire him. I've, like, rewritten his backstory five or six times. But I can acknowledge that even though I am reluctant to let go of this character, it's gotten to a point where I probably should. And that really kind of ties back into that emotional investment where I don't want to lose this character. And I know that if I were into to have a situation where this character just could permanently not be played anymore, it would probably be very, very sad day for Dylan. It would be a bad day in social studies. I wouldn't like that. And I've written a way out of that just because of, you know, the one campaign I played him to completion in. And that's not something you can always do especially if your characters do die. Like, I really think kind of that 8 to 12 level range is when a character's death is going to be the most impactful because you've had time to really adjust to the character, to fill into who they are. You've fleshed out their personality. You've had lots of adventures. And this character, if you're you know deep into role-playing, you're going to have spent a lot of time with that group and you've made some stories and you got some bonds. But then if they die in that range, resurrecting them is going to be very expensive and very difficult. And it's not necessarily impossible, but perhaps gathering the resources to do that uh, and you know, having the time and gold and traveling to whatever requisite locations you're going to have to do is just going to take a long time. And that may mean that player would have to sit out for several sessions while the other players have to gather these resources and do what needs to be done to resurrect this character. And it may just be more feasible to make a new character and continue playing at that point. And that's really whenever the character death just does kind of become permanent because then you're going to have to relinquish that character you've lost to be able to play the new one so that you can continue to be a part of the game. And I think that's all I had to say on that. So you you kind of brought up a good point. I don't know that I had a point. About the, uh, about the Dr. Arm thing. Or I say you brought up a good point. You're reluctant to retire him... But something that's really interesting about that is that you have this massive backstory to him already, um, and you kind of touched on this a little bit. But you know, you, you talked about getting to the level eight to, to twelve range. Um, so I mean, that would be that would be like still pretty fresh in the development of that character. I mean, I guess you know you're more developed than you are at level five, but I mean you could say that at level twenty as opposed to level eight too. Um, so. So, I mean, that, that one's really interesting to me because with Dr. Arm, he has 
come and gone from several campaigns. And so that feels like a different level of impactful than creating a character for a campaign and then having that character die. Uh, because if I were to get Archie to the end of our campaign, um, and then like maybe see him in a few other campaigns and then have him die, you know, there, there's kind of this nostalgia factor to it. But then there there's a way of thinking. I don't ne- know if I necessarily subscribe to this or not, but there's a way of thinking that would like potentially say that that would hold you back from like creating potentially an even better experience by like rolling a new character or, or doing something. I guess it depends on like how you in- include that character going forward. Because if it's like an NPC or something, you may not actively be playing them, so you may have a character that you are. Uh, actively developing and and have that kind of thing but um, I guess where I'm going with this is that it seems like you could have different levels of impacts depending on how it goes and so it would be different than if you lost a character because you didn't have agency whenever you were in the middle of a fight like you know you just, you just lost the roll and you're just like oh man this really sucks i have to roll new characters because i got unlucky with the dice rolls and oh, we just don't have enough money to resurrect me it doesn't make sense so grr i'm gonna do that versus uh the emotional investment of eight campaigns deep dr arm who's sitting outside of space and time looking down on the universe figuring out how he wants to, borrowing your words, harass party members through time and space. <laughs> he really does, though. Like Richard is the only other person I, I think actually managed to get kind of the essence of Dr. Arm and who he is because he played him in one that he uh, GM'd for us a long time ago. And he took blood samples and spoke to people's blood to figure out things about like who they were and how they were going to advance the campaign. And if anybody tried to ask him anything in like this whole 10 minute session of just silence and him just going, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. He'd just be like, so are you going to be, Shh, I'm listening. It's just really interesting to see somebody else grasp that character so well, but really the difference in there, it does become just the fact that I do have the agency to know like, okay, this character has run its course. I get the choice to retire now, as opposed to something happening to him outside of my control and then being forced to do so. So it really just kind of became my own. Do I think this character needs to go on or do I need to put him to the side as opposed to even, and you mentioned saying like, ugh, like it's just annoying that I have to make a new character because we can't resurrect and we don't have the gold and you know it's too hard and that that in itself is a kind of emotional investment because even if you're not invested to the character itself like as in a role-playing capacity you're still invested in kind of the mechanics and what your character had to offer the party and a lot of the time i know players don't really want to just make like a oh well john died let's have john 2.0 come in they kind of want to try something new but they're still trying to fill that same role and then they have to do the research into figuring out how they're going to fulfill that same slot, uh, have those same duties within the party without just basically making the exact same character again to avoid just being that guy. Well, let me tell you that my plan, if Gary Potter dies, I got Barry Potter, I got Carrie Potter, (laughs) (laughs) I've got Jerry Potter. I'm just saying, man, like he comes from a long line of witches. Uh, Dalton would be furious to hear this. So 
mechanically, you know, those deaths do still have that kind of impact as well, because especially sometimes players do just tire of the character that they want to play and they want to try and get something new. And it can be a shift. Your your players may have figured out a way of combat that works really well for them, and they don't necessarily want to change that. So the, the death affects more than just the player who lost the character. It's really something that affects the whole party, wherein they're going to have to figure out what's different. How do I synergize with this new character? How do our characters interact with this person who now they don't have a history with? Now they don't have this long-standing rapport with? It, it changed excuse me, it changes the way that you're going to role play with that person and it changes the way that you're going to engage in the combat with that new character because now you have to figure out what is this person capable of, what can I do that's going to work well with this character, and what do I need to change to be able to role play and fight well with this new addition to our party whom they likely were not planning for. And that in itself can be a period of adjustment where you're trying to figure out just how things are going to move on from that point so forward. You're, it sounds like you're kind of painting that in a little bit of a negative light, but when we lost a sorcerer who had a battle axe and fought in melee range, I felt like we kind of got like a more valuable character out of that death, if I'm being honest. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I'm saying, like, Gromlesh Lifrom was, which is hilarious, because now that I think about it, he's like really the first French orc that we got, even before the Diocese of Boys was a thing. Oh, wow. Um, Holy crap, how meta. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> right? Oh, foreshadowing, but for real life. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it's not necessarily always a difficult process. Like... Sometimes that character just doesn't fit well with the party. Uh, an instance of this, I will say, is I had a character in a D&D 5e campaign that uh, Zeke was running for us who was Grigori Rasputin. Like, just the madman Rasputin from Russian history made into a D&D character. He was a warlock, and he was a non-combatant. That was my whole thing for him, is I was really going to be using a lot of charm magic, and I was going to be, like, manipulating a lot of people in the world. Um, as a warlock, I was going to be doing, like, a lot of, you know, I'm going to kind of screw with that person's mind to get them to do what we want instead of having to, like, roll a lot of, uh, you know, persuasion and diplomacy rolls and things of that nature. But the GM wasn't really prepared for that kind of thing, and as a result... He didn't take the character of Rasputin seriously, where kind of my whole shtick in the role-playing sense was that he was going to try and convert people to Christianity in-game, but he never took it seriously. He never let me get to do that kind of role-play, and as a result, Rasputin was just a very bad fit for the party, and he ended up getting fed to a bunch of dragon babies. And my next character, uh, oh, what was his name? I, I cannot remember. It'll come to me later. But my next character was actually the guard who fed him to the dragons. Who decided, this is pretty screwed up. I just fed that dude to a bunch of baby dragons. I should defect. Well, see, that's, but that's, it, that's kind of funny. I, I just, uh, it's really interesting to talk about, um, like, character deaths and, like, people getting really invested. But then also to have, like, this really fun plot twist where, you know, it's like, eh, he's not really doing anything with me. Please feed him to dragons. Cool. The guard, yeah, he's, yeah, let him go on the adventure. Let's go. Let's do this. Yeah, and 
that was a fun way to do it. But I was actually still really frustrated that I had to lose Rasputin in that way. Because even though I didn't really get the chance to flesh him out, like we were still only like level two when this happened, I was still really frustrated that I had this fun idea for a character I wanted to play and it just didn't work out. And sometimes that just is the case. Sometimes a character just doesn't fit and you end up having to switch them out for somebody else. But it, it was still kind of just a bummer for me. And no one really seemed to take that seriously either. And that, that was kind of like a point of contention for a while where the new character I made was very uh, very tight-lipped. He didn't really talk to the party for a long time just because that was me kind of uh, taking the space that I needed to be like, oh, man, I don't really want to play this character, but I guess now i got to play somebody else. So I, that just kind of ties back to the whole, like, make sure that if a player does lose a character, even if it's somebody that, you know, the party very clearly needs to lose that it's just a bad fit and this character needs to be changed out understand where they're coming from when a character dies and make sure that they're okay with moving forward from that point on because even just losing a certain character mechanically can it can just be a bummer it can just be a bummer for the player involved yeah so i mean i think we're getting pretty close to the standard time but but that that's really interesting because i mean it it sounds like there's i don't want to call it a no win situation bingham that was the that was the guard's name what was that bingham okay bingham bingham b-i-n-g-h-a-m gotcha go on but uh i don't i don't really want to call it a a no win situation but i mean it seems like a no win situation where it's like okay this character doesn't fit i mean there's not really going to be a path forward for them to stay on this party um, so, I mean, in that case, I don't know how that campaign went, but, you know, would you have had the option to, like, pull him aside and say, like, hey, uh, can I pull this character from this campaign and, like, do something different and we can figure out the story pieces that we need to make that happen? Or was it, like, a very sudden, yeah, just feed him to the dragons? Was it, was that your decision? Like, how how did that all factor in? Because it, it didn't sound like there's going to be a way for you to like character carry that character forward, uh, at least given the GM style. Which which I get how frustrating that is, but uh, I mean, either the GM has to adapt or you have to adapt. Uh, and I don't I don't know whose responsibility that air quotes should. So that that always goes back into the realm of. Basically, the podcast motto at this point, like, always communicate. In that particular instance, I do think it was just uh, it was just a, an instance of me and the GM not being on the same wavelength, where he didn't really roleplay very well. I really wanted to be very roleplay heavy with the character, and as a result, it was just a mismatch. And that sometimes just is the case. And yeah, obviously, if there is just kind of a mismatch in that way, being able to hash it out, like figure out what the problem is and what can be done to change it is always going to be the best course of action. It's not always going to be a course of action you can take, especially like you've met Zeke, you know how he is. He's not necessarily the best with that kind of thing. And as a result, I really didn't feel like it was going to be worth the effort to try and go to the side and say, hey, I really want to have this character be more involved, but it's going to be requiring more role-playing on your part and that kind of thing. I do. So I just kind of decided to let it go. I do want to make a point here, though. Um, I do know how Zeke is, and 
man would I have loved to have been a fly on the wall to watch you try to convert Zeke to Christianity over and over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. But yeah, you are right. We've uh, we've hit our time for this week's episode. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and roll that beautiful bean footage and see what next week's topic is going to be. 13. Uh, 16, actually, which is the Horde of the Dragon Queen D&D 5e module, which is actually the one that I lost Rasputin in. Having a lot of meta moments. Yeah, we really are. <laughs> but uh, that's what we'll be talking about next week. It's a, it's a fun module. I think it's very interesting uh, because it can be summed up with the two words, Dragon Cults, which are like those words in that order are dope as hell. Uh, so, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, it, social media profiles, facebook.com slash d20dudes, twitter.com slash d20dudes, or at d20dudes on Twitter. If you want to support us on Patreon and, uh, you know, help keep the podcast moving in the for- future, patreon.com slash d20dudes. If you would like to join our Discord, the link for that is always down in the, the description of the episode. Come harass us. We like having new friends. And we would love to speak with fans of the podcast. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to press that like button and tickle the bell. Yeah. Smash that like scribe button. Am I a YouTuber now? Bye-bye. Bye.